when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, baby. Are you looking for a podcast that brings you all the latest news and analysis on the silver and black? Carr from under center looks downfield, fires deep, complete. Waller's got it. How about interviews with A-list guests? Just pod, baby. Congrats on 100 episodes. I'm happy for you guys. Keep doing your thing, and thanks for having me, man. It was a blast. Look no further. You are listening to Just Pod, baby, a Las Vegas Raiders podcast, part of the Vegas Sports Today podcast network. Henry Ruggs! The speed! Touchdown! Carr with another bomb! And now, your host, Evan Grote. And let's go, Raider Nation. Thank you again for joining me this week here on Just Pod Baby. I am Evan Grote, your host. This is the Week 4 preview episode. We are brought to you by VegasSportsToday.com, the only independent Raiders news source. Before we dive into it this week, just a couple of recommendations for you. If you're a subscriber to this show and you like what you hear on this show, which if you're not, by the way, if you are not subscribing to this show yet, do so. Click the button right now. And also, please leave me a rating and review if you have a moment. I'd, I'd really appreciate that. But if you do enjoy this show, I've got another suggestion for you. Go out there and subscribe to the Silver and Black Tonight, their podcast feed. You're going to get two shows a week from host Scott Gilbranson and Mo Moten. Of course, they have the Friday night show, 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. on the East, which you can hear. Uh, on 1090 AM, the mightier in Southern California. If you don't live in the area, uh, like myself, I live out here in, in Western New York, you can also find that show on the TuneIn app. That's how I listen. Uh, I tune in every Friday, and I, and I love it. Uh, they also have the Sunday morning show, um, which can be heard on or at 9 a.m. Pacific time on 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas. So they are back on the air in Las Vegas. That's a great. And you could also... Uh, if you're not local to the Las Vegas area, download the Audacity app. But as I said, you can find all of this through the podcast feed. So just subscribe there. It's really easy. You know, between the podcast that I'm putting out here for you guys and the, and, and Scott and Mo, the stories over at VegasSportsToday.com, we're really putting out a lot of great content for all of our all of our uh, listeners and readers. And so uh, check us out at all those different pl- platforms. And, and you know, of course, we always appreciate. The support, but now it is time to get to some Raiders football. Your three and and0 Las Vegas Raiders, another overtime win last week uh, against the Dolphins. And I tell you what, this season certainly has been not for the faint uh, of the heart, right? Um, I tweeted out this week that I am, I'm ready for a nice, comfortable win, right? How about a 31-10 win rather than these these five quarter nail biters overtime games? Uh, but nonetheless, uh, you know, they are fun to watch. And the important part is, is that the Raiders, they're winning these games. And you can't say that um, when you look back, um, you know, since Gruden has arrived for the second time around, these are games that the Raiders haven't won many of. And, and you know, things aren't going to get any easier this week when they face the, the Chargers, 2-1 and one Chargers. Um, the game is going to be at SoFi, but we know that it's going to look and sound a lot more like a Raiders home game. Later in segment two, we're going to be joined by Daniel Popper, who covers the the Chargers for The Athletic. He does a great job with his coverage. I've been le- reading a lot of his uh, stories. He does an uh, excellent job. Uh, he knows this team very well, and, and he will give us some real insight into the Chargers and, and get us all set for Monday night's game. But tonight, I want to begin by welcoming in a very special guest and a very good friend of the show. He's making his 2021 20, season debut this week. 
It's a big game for the Raiders on Monday Night Football, so I had to call in the heavy hitter for this one. It's been a long time since we had him on. I'm very excited to chat with him right now. Let's say hello to Maurice Mo Moten. Uh, new Mike Hootis. Nah, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's been a while, but it's good to be back on with you, Evan. Um, as many listeners know me, Evan, we used to do this every week and kind of give you guys the the, uh, the the breakdown of what happened past week, and that was fun. I'm um, still the same Mo. Even though I do two radio shows now with Scott Branson, same guy, same objective takes. So I, I hope you guys enjoy us being back together again. I, I you know, Mo, I, I've gotten a couple of complaints actually. Believe it or not, I've <laughs> I've gotten some criticism for not doing the uh, the the the. Um, recap shows that were we we had so much fun together doing those shows and uh but you know uh you're on to bigger and better things and i'm a big fan of that show that you and scott are doing twice a week and i i try to promote it on here as as much as i can but um i am excited to have you back here for this this conversation tonight um and of course for any of you that may be new to this mo is of course a featured nfl columnist for bleacher report he's a also a fantasy football expert for them i i'm always texting him on sundays i'm sure i'm driving crazy (laughs) asking for advice who I should be starting and whatnot. He also contributes uh, to the site VegasSportsToday.com. He's a part of the team there. And he's the co-host, as I mentioned, of the Silver and Black Tonight radio show with Scott Kilbranson. And so you can find him all over the place. He's one of the um, he's one of the best out there. And one of the reasons why I love having Mo on is because we're, we're pretty like-minded when it comes to our uh, analysis. And, 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 you know, I pride myself on this show, uh, you know, for always giving objective uh, analysis. And, and I think Mo does a great job uh, of that as well. But Mo, let, let's get into it now. There's a lot to catch up on. 3-0 and right now. The Raiders are 3-0. and They knocked off the Ravens in week one. They went on the road in Pittsburgh and beat the Steelers. And then uh, another overtime thriller last week against the Dolphins. Are you at all surprised by the 3-0 start yeah absolutely i think anyone who told you yeah i expect the raiders to go 3-0 to start the season is lying to you but um i'll I'll say this the raiders shocked me in two areas really and i'll and it's not Derek carr for people saying you know people probably think oh he's going to say it's Derek carr but that's not it i actually thought the raiders defense would would vastly improve under gus bradley but i didn't think it would improve this quickly and there's a key stat that I pointed out on Twitter. The Raiders are third and in, in third down allowing third down conversions. Actually, sixth and allowing third down conversions. So they're getting off the field on third downs, which gives that offense more possessions. And the other area is just the way that offense is gelling with the two young wide receivers, Henry Ruggs and, and Brian Edwards. I said at least one of those guys has to pop for the offense to take the next level. Turns out they're both contributing. They're both averaging t- over 21, well, 21 or more yards per catch. Can you imagine that? And and as I said, I'm not going to say Derek Carr surprised me because he's always been a good quarterback. But the one area where he's made the leap, he's more aggressive. And and Kurt Warner talked about this. Uh, uh, Mark John, who's who's a great writer for Silver and Black to Silver and Black Pride, talked about this. He's anticipating throws, which allows him to be aggressive. And I think that's one thing to point out where he's just coming out firing despite a shaky O line, and, and that's good to see. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more with you. Uh, I think you hit it. Right, you know, nail on the head there. I think for me, um, 
I'm a little surprised by how quickly the improvements on the defense came together. I mean, as you said, we we figured it was going to be better. It looked better on paper, but they have hit the ground running. And we and we we knew from what we were hearing in training camp that Max uh, Crosby and Yannick and Gakwe they looked like they were on a mission in training camp that has carried over into the season. They're both really really playing well. Casey Hayward, who was who was a new face, uh, familiar with Bradley's scheme, um, he's playing well. You had the late additions of, of uh, uh, Denzel Perryman and, and KJ Wright, who again are familiar with what Gus Bradley wants to do. They are fitting right in. And then you have some of the youngsters, a couple of the third year guys, uh, Trayvon Mullen and Jonathan Abram really starting to, you know, you know you're not seeing them make a lot of mistakes like last mm-hmm. year and, and they're, they're, uh, Mullen was making some plays last year. That's a good sign. And then you got the rookies, Nate Hobbs, who, who we've been hearing a lot about and seeing him do a lot of good things. Trayvon Merrig, um, you know, they, everyone's just playing really well right now. So, you know, I'm I'm definitely pleasantly surprised about the defense. And obviously, you know, you you, you touched on the other big piece of the puzzle, and that's been the play of Derek Carr. So let, let's go there next. Um, he's he's playing at an elite level right now. Was just named AFC Offensive Player of the Month. He leads the league in, in passing yards. He's he's in the early conversation right now for MVP. Um, he's been great, and and I think it's interesting though. I've been doing a lot of reading on Twitter, of course, and and the narrative that is out there um, with some people is that Derek Carr has always been this guy, and and I and I know because we've had some private conversations that uh, both you and I tend to um, disagree with that thought, and and I know you do as well. So why don't you explain to us a little bit why you know why you feel that way and what you are seeing from Carr that you think is different this year? And I, I saw I touched on this in the beginning is that he's. He's obviously more aggressive, and I outlined in a recent article his average intended air yards per pass, and it's at 9.1 right now, which is tied for seventh in the league. In 2020, it was 8.2. In 2019, it was 6.3. In 2018, it was 6.7. So he is obviously pushing the ball downfield at a higher frequency. I've always said Derek Carr throws a great deep ball. He just needs to do it a lot more. He is doing it a lot more this year. Now, you can credit him being comfortable in the offense in his fourth year under John Gruden. You can credit the the progression of his young wide receivers and Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards if you want to. But I listened to David Carr. He was on Colin Cowherd's show I believe, two days ago. I believe it was Tuesday. And Colin asked him about Derek Carr's play. He said, what, what is it now that he's he's playing at this level? And David basically said, well, He's basically an extension of John Gruden on the field. So Derek Carr is able to put what Gruden wants on the field and execute it. So he's doing that at a high level. And now he has also he has now the, the chemistry and confidence in his wide receivers. So he now can push the ball downfield. And Kurt Warner said this during the offseason. If Carr pushes the ball downfield, the offense is going to take the next step. It's going to move up to the next level. And we've seen that through three weeks. So I just want to say to the people saying Derek Carr has always been this guy, I think – I think the pushback comes from those detractors probably feel like we're saying Derek Carr wasn't a good quarterback and now he is a good quarterback. And that's not what we're saying. I think Derek Carr's always been a capable quarterback, a solid quarterback that you can get to the playoffs with. He just needed just needed more around him and raised to have a defense and now they have all these weapons. But he just needed to push the ball down the field. And again, you're seeing that. And that and that we're not again, we're not saying that now he's uh, you know, that much better of a quarterback now than he was, 
But it's obvious now that that part of his game, he's elevated that part of his game. He's always been a good quarterback, but now he's an aggressive quarterback that's willing to put the offense on his shoulders. And he doesn't need a veteran offensive line. He doesn't need the best pass protection. He doesn't need a ground game. The Raiders didn't find that ground game until last week when Peyton Barber went off for 111 yards. So he did it basically without a ground game. And as I said, his O-line is shaky. Andre James is still learning how to snap the ball. Carr has been sacked eight times. And I think in the past when he's been hit, he would kind of be kind of, I guess, cognizant of throwing downfield. He would probably check it down so he doesn't voids the hit, doesn't take too many hits. Now, even if he's getting hit, if he's feeling the pressure, he'll still throw the ball downfield. He'll still stand up tall in the pocket and throw downfield. You can't say anything about he's perceiving pressure that isn't there or he has happy feet. You don't see any of that this year. It's full-blown confidence. And You'd like to see that as a Raiders fan, as a Raiders fan from Derek Carr, because that means your offense is going to be humming. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and you said it. We we it's not that we have th- we 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 thought that Derek Carr wasn't a quality quarterback. Right. I, I have said many times. I I think he's capable of getting this team to the playoffs. I've said that many right. times. But mm-hmm. what's most impressive is what you just pointed out. He is doing this right now with. Uh, a very young offensive line, uh, um, a rookie at right tackle, a first-year starter at center, and without his starting guards. That's impressive. That is very impressive. And you mentioned the lack of run game. I mean, up until last week, the run game was a non-factor. They finally got th- something going last week with Peyton Barber. I just had 111 yards, career high for him. But that's, that, to me, is what makes it so impressive. And if you look at last week and the, week, uh, the, the last two weeks, especially... Look at what Darren Waller has done the last two weeks. A really mm-hmm. relatively quiet games um, for him by his terms. Five catches for 65 yards versus Pittsburgh, and then five catches for 55 yards last week against Miami. Normally, and if this was last year, and I'm looking at a box score, and Darren Waller has five catches for 55 yards, I'm thinking the Raiders aren't winning that game. But this year, mm-hmm. because of the development of the young wide receivers, Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards, as you mentioned, um, you know, Carr obviously has more trust in them. You can see the chemistry is there. Uh, the offense has has some more weapons, and, and, and it's been it's been great to see. Yeah, it's been absolutely great to see. And like I said, I just want to point out that Steelers game, and you you mentioned it a little bit with Darren Waller, basically five catches. Now I wouldn't say that's you know he that's not a no show, but he you know we're used to Darren Waller going off like a hundred yards, and you say okay, he's their main weapon, as you saw in Week One. Carr went to Darren Waller a whole lot, and people were thinking, okay, this is the Darren Waller offense, and that's just not the case. I believe five Raiders are over 100 yards receiving right now. So that's Kenyon Drake, that's Hunter Renfro, that's Bryant Edwards, that's Henry Ruggs, and Darren Waller. And that Week 2 game, even though the Raiders had control of that game from start to finish, it was impressive because Darren Waller didn't have a big game. The run game didn't show up. I believe the run game averaged about 2.5 yards per carry. That was before Peyton Barber went off. You know, the offensive line still has issues with pass protection, and Carr was still able to put the game away with a big bomb to Henry Ruggs for, I believe, 61 yards over the top, basically sealed the game. So you got to give him credit that despite the supporting cast around him is not perfect and, and still relatively young, he is still playing at a high level, and I think that's a compliment. It's not even a backhanded compliment. I think it's weird that people aren't accepting the fact that we're, we're patting Derek Carr on the back saying, you know what, he has shown improvements in some area. Not that he went from a bad quarterback to a good quarterback, but in year eight, he is still making strides, and I think that's something that you should you should be happy about. You should be excited about that. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, if, if you're a critic of Derek Carr out there, you you're, you really don't have a whole lot to say right now. He's doing an excellent job. Uh, and, and speaking of spreading the ball around, four wide receivers over 200 yards right now. I believe that's the only team in the NFL right now that ha- that can say that. Um, I, I want to jump over to the defense now. The, the Gus Bradley effect is real. You know, it, his... Yeah. His simplified scheme has been just what the doctor ordered for this defense. Guys seem to be playing with much more confidence. They're, they're playing faster, um, thinking less. It's exactly what he said he wanted to see, and it's 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 happening. Everyone is on the same page. Uh, of course, there's no denying how important Derek Carr has been to the success of the team right now. But but what's what we're seeing is the defense and offense they're complementing each other, right, Mo? Yeah, I wrote about this in my last article. I said complimentary football. And I believe you talk about that a lot on this podcast, that if your offense and defense are in sync and is one side doesn't have to be spectacular. As long as both sides can can make some situational plays, you can pull out some wins. And that's what the Raiders have done. I believe their complimentary football has been able to help them pull out of two, two 14 point deficits. So they fell behind against the Ravens, fell behind against the Dolphins. They had to pull themselves out of it. Of course, a lot of that is on Derek Carr being aggressive, but also the defense being able to get opposing offenses off the field and stop the bleeding. What I find surprising is, since we're talking about things that surprise us, Solomon Thomas leads the Raiders in sacks right now with 2.5. Two and a half sacks for Solomon Thomas. And this is a guy that wasn't much of a pass rusher with the San Francisco 49ers, coming off of a major injury, I believe he had a knee injury, and now he's actually making contributions as a, as a rotational defensive lineman. That's great to see. Carl Nassib is playing better. Quentin Jefferson is popping up making plays. Denzel Perryman, a late addition, making his presence felt. Nate Hobbs, a young fifth-round uh, fifth rookie coming out. He's, you know, he's exceeding expectations. So as you said, just seeing this defense, seeing the development, seeing guys come from other places and make contributions under Gus Bradley is very, very refreshing because Raiders fans have been waiting, just waiting for – a decent defense that didn't need a top 10 defense, but a decent one. And right now this, as I said, six and certain and allowing third down conversions that that's big time. Cause now teams are not able to extend drives. Your offense is able to get on the field. And even if the offense doesn't execute because the Raiders are still 21st in red zone scoring, even if the offense has some troubles in certain areas, they have enough value where they have enough chances to score points, a field goal, a touchdown here and there. And that's, again, that's what's pulled them out of 14 point deficits. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta admit, you mentioned Solomon Thomas. I was pretty, mm-hmm. I was pretty hard on Solomon Thomas when they, <laughs> when they signed him. So I, I gotta, I gotta admit when I was, when I'm wrong. And uh, you know, I, I, it's early. I mean, we're we're, th- we're only three games in, but he's 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 been a difference maker. Um, and uh, you know, he, he's right now he's making me eat my words. So I'm gonna put that out there that I, I was mistaken uh, with, with but, Solomon Thomas. But I wanted to make a quick comment and. Not to be negative here, but if the Raiders were not three and zero, you know what the conversation would be right now. People would be talking about, you know, where's where's Cleveland Farrell? Where's Damon Arnett? Why are those guys not producing? And what's happening with the Raiders right now is that they've hit on so many of their free agent acquisitions that you we don't even need to talk about those guys right now because it's all about winning. Of course, that's the bottom line. But because Solomon Thomas is contributing, because uh, because Quentin Jefferson is performing, because Denzel Perriman is a big part of this defense. You don't need to hear from from guys like you know Cleveland Farrell and, and Damon Arnett. So uh, again, that's just a conversation for a different day. It's good that the Rays are hitting on free agent acquisitions because that hasn't been the case in recent years. So these, those guys are actually clicking under Gus Bryant. So if you trust anybody, if you trust any personnel decisions, at least you can say, okay, 
Gus Bradley can make something out of nothing. We'll see. Uh, the jury's still out on Arnett and Clean Farrell. I know it doesn't look good right now, but we have a long season to go, and there's a lot of development to be had from a lot of these players on the defensive side of the ball. Absolutely. Winning, winning uh, kind of uh, cures all, as they say. And, uh, and, mm-hmm. and said, we're not going to get into that Cleveland Farrell conversation. I, I ugh, still still kind of uh, sour keep about it, that keep one. Keep it positive. Yeah, keep it keep positive. Keep it positive. But, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, Mo, before I let you run, um, I, I want to take a quick look uh, around the AFC West division right now. It, right now, I think it's probably the best division. Uh, you could mm-hmm. argue it's the best division in football right now. Um so I want to get your take on a few things here first. What, what's up with the Chiefs? I mean, are we seeing um, some chinks in the armor, or am I overreacting to the one and two record right now? No, you're not overreacting. I actually wrote an article on the Chiefs uh, a couple of days ago, and I looked at their deficiencies and their issues, and there are two things that stood out to me. And one's going to surprise you, but I'll get to the first obvious one, and that's their defense. Their their <laughs> their red zone defense is terrible. Uh, opponents have gotten to the red zone 13 times, and they've allowed 12 touchdowns in those 13 trips. So the Chiefs defense is not stopping anybody right now. That's number one. Uh, Josh Gordon is not going to help him in that in that aspect. The other thing I find su- surprising is that now defenses are using two high safety looks against Patrick Mahomes. They're blitzing less and keeping that extra defender. Uh, in the passing lanes to clog the passing lanes so that it makes it harder for Patrick Mahomes to fit the ball through windows. And he is struggling there. He's thrown three interceptions in the last two games. So defenses are finding a way to slow him down or at least make him think or at least force the Chiefs to drive long fields. And hopefully that Patrick Mahomes makes a mistake because that was a knock on him coming out is he'll throw up an interception. He'll throw up a ball sometimes that ill-advised pads and that could be a turnover. And that's what's happened. Again, three interceptions over the last two games. So he is struggling with that. Uh, the chief, the Chargers intercepted him twice. One critically, one critical interception late in that game that helped the Chargers seal the game. So they're struggling as far as defense. And Patrick Mahomes has to make better decisions with the football. So not a huge concern because you think Patrick Mahomes is going to pull out of this, but he's got to figure out a way to beat those two high safety looks. Yeah, I'm not quite ready to uh, you know write them off, but I, I definitely do see some some weaknesses that we haven't seen uh, in, in recent years. How about the Denver Broncos tied atop the division with the Raiders? And that actually that actually sounds weird. That feels weird just saying that, right? I mean, it's it's been so long since we could say that about either team. But when I look at who they've beaten, Giants, Jaguars, Jets, you know, combined 0 and 9 record, I, I think I'm pumping the brakes a little bit on them. What do you think? Yeah, I'll punt the brakes on them as far as them being juggernauts. I did have them um, being in the playoff hunt, though, and before the season started, only because of their defense. I felt like their defense, as we know, defense travels. If you have a a top-tier defense, you could stay – teams could stay in most of those games. Now, the difference here is that – now, I know they've beaten up on bad football teams. But if you actually watch them, they're actually playing well. Teddy Bridgewater, just like Derek Carr, is actually slinging the ball downfield. His intended air yards, he's tied with Carr at 9.1, which means he's throwing the ball downfield. And if you watch Teddy Bridgewater throughout his career, he's always been kind of a conservative dink and dunk quarterback. That's not the case this year. He's actually pushing the ball downfield too. So I got to give credit there where it's due. A great story. Again, I'm not saying they're Denver Broncos are juggernauts, but they're going to be a tough out. They're going to be a tough, they're tough competition. Even though they beat up on bad teams, I believe they can hang. And I believe you're going to see that when they play the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday. So that was the team to look at. I, I, I would still lean toward the Raiders being the better football team as far as balance is concerned with the way Carr is playing, uh, with the way Gus Bradley has that defense playing. I, I would lean Raiders being the better team, but Broncos aren't a team to overlook either. 
Yeah, that'll be an interesting how, to see how they do uh, against the Ravens this week. That'll be a game I, I keep a close eye on. And then, and then this week we get to see the Chargers. We get to see them up close and personal. And I, I think, I think they look for real. I mean, as long as I can stay healthy. I mean, that's been an issue for them in recent years. Um, and I'm not sizing up Justin Herbert for the gold jacket yet, but he is very, very good. I mean, that kid, he he can play. Um, he's got weapons around him. Um, and I like the mindset that the new coach Brandon Staley kind of brings to this team. What are some of your thoughts on the Chargers? And and not only that, but the matchup with them on Monday Night Football. Yeah, they also have an impressive rookie who won Defensive Rookie of the Month in Asante Samuel Jr. I actually liked him coming out of Florida State. He's got four pass breakups, two interceptions, and uh, 50% uh, completion percentage allowed. I want to see Derek Carr test that rookie in the bright lights and see how he does against against a Hunter Renfro, who's one of the great route runners. And I said Hunter Renfro was going to have a great season, and people would, would respect him more this year. And I think we're starting to see that. But that's a matchup I want to see. Also, of course, Darren Waller against – we could see Darren Waller against Derwin James. Scott and I talked to Gilbert Manzano of uh, Los Angeles Daily News, and he said that you know we could see that matchup go down between Derwin James since he's healthy – and Darren Waller, and that would be that's a heavyweight bout right there. So I'm interested in that. Uh, of course, Joey Bosa, when he's on the field, when he's healthy, I believe he had an injury coming into last week. So we'll see how much he plays. But as long as they have Derwin James and Joey Bosa healthy, that defense is going to be solid. Except, except against the run. And I've been I've been saying this on, on Twitter for the last 24 hours. The Chargers' run defense is awful <laughs> yeah, last in the league yards last, per in the carry. League. last in the league yep. and and i believe the the chiefs gouged them for about 186 rushing yards the the cowboys got them for 198 rushing yards and we're hearing that josh jacobs i saw he he's practicing today for the raiders and peyton barber went off last week for 111 yards you can mix in a little kenyan drake if you want and i think the raiders can run it up and down the field against that run defense if there's any weakness with the chargers it's it's that run defense and i think the raiders have to jump on that right out of the gate uh establish a run get jacobs if he plays going get barber going get kenny and drake going whoever you got running the ball get them going because that's where the raiders can control the tempo of the game and control the control the entire game and, and win it and maybe keep justin herbert and his weapons on the sideline yeah now i'm looking at the game line right now it looks like the chargers are favored uh by three and a half points you got a prediction for us I actually had the Raiders winning this game before the season started. So I'm going to stick with that and say the Raiders win in overtime. So Raiders fans, get your heart meds ready. <laughs> have another overtime Monday night football game with the Raiders going on. I think the Raiders win it 30 to 27. And I just go back to that to that run defense of the Chargers. That's the weak spot. And if you think about John Gruden, what is what's been his staple since he's come back? It's running the football, establishing the ground attack. So I think this is right into his wheelhouse. And if you can do that, as I said, you can keep Justin Herbert on the sideline, limit his possessions. The Chargers won't run up the score if you're controlling the game with the football. So I think the Raiders come away with this win, but it's going to take an extra period. Oh, not again. Not again, Mo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> us, us East Coast people hate those overtime Oh, my Lord, especially on a Monday night. Come on, I got to get some sleep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but, Mo, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to let you run here real quick. You know, if the Raiders get by the Chargers, I'm looking at this schedule, man, and I, and I don't want to look ahead. But if they should get by the Chargers, they're they're looking at four and zero, and that schedule looks really favorable. Games against the Bears, the Broncos, the Eagles, the Giants, and and followed by the Chiefs. You know, to to steal a quote from Chris Berman, 
you start to get the feeling, right? And uh, so, you know, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but but if they don't lose this week, it could be a couple more weeks before we see this team lose. But anyways, you heard it from him, uh, Raider Nation, Mo Moten. He's the best. Hopefully we can get him back on here in a few weeks. As always, oh, yeah. Mo, thanks for the time. Keep doing your thing. We, we all look forward to your insight and your analysis, and let's hope we have another Raiders win on Monday night. Of course, big funny work, Evan. Anytime. I, I want to say anytime, but with with reason, I'll definitely be back. I could say that. I can definitely guarantee you guys I will be back on the show because Evan does a great job, and I always got 10 to 15 minutes just to chop it up with Raiders with him. All right, we're off to a good start here this week on Just Pod Baby, week four preview episode, but it is time for me to get to a quick break, and when I return, we'll take a look at the injury report on Thursday and welcome in our guest from The Athletic, Daniel Popper, who covers the Chargers. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to Just Pod Baby, part of the Vegas Sports Today podcast network. From year one, for sure, absolutely. You know, um, you know, we're definitely doing some. We have some different players um, at, at all all three levels. Um, you know, we got some different things going on uh, on the other side of the ball. A lot of it goes together. Um, uh, you know, more possessions. You know, more. You know, we're we're able to take more chances. We have thrown the ball down the field a lot, um, but we're able to do that because we. You know, we trust we can get them on the other downs, but we also trust our defense to hold and, and things like that um, in case we do need to punt. But, you know, punts are okay. Uh, you know, you always want to end with a kick. You always hear that, right? And, uh, you know, I think that it really is a when – you, when you win something like that, it, it, it means you're winning, one. It means you're winning, and it means that everything around you is going pretty well. And we're back here on Just Pod Baby, segment number two. I'm your host, Evan Grote. And there you heard Derek Carr talking about his confidence level playing in this offense uh, year four uh, under John Gruden. And I got a couple of things I want to get to. Um, we're go- we're going to get to the injury report here in just a second. Before I do that, though, I, I saw a report uh, or a study on, there, on Twitter, actually. Uh, I think it was done by VividSeats.com, one of those um, secondary market ticket sales uh, companies. And uh, they have a forecasting projection that they do and they project that 75% of the the fans at SoFi Stadium Monday night are going to be Raider fans and of course that comes as no shock to us um, Raider fans anyways we, we know that anytime the Raiders travel to uh, San Diego or now Los Angeles the, the Raider fans really take over that place and it, it feels a lot more like a home game for the Raiders I even saw Derek Carr was trolling uh, doing a bit of trolling uh, when he met with the media, talking about how uh, you know Raider fans are definitely going to take over uh, SoFi. So uh, expect a large contingency of Raider fans. It's going to be loud there, a lot, a lot of support for the Raiders. So that'll be a, a good thing uh, for them. And then, as I mentioned, I want to I want to uh, go over the the Thursday injury report. Uh, let's start with the Chargers. Um, I know that Joey Bosa w- was a little bit banged up coming into the game last week uh, with a, with like a foot ankle. He did play the game with limited snaps. Um, it looks like he's going to be good to go. Thursday, he got a full practice in. Uh, one of their star receivers, Keenan Allen, listed with an ankle. He was limited in Thursday, but normally when you're limited on Thursday, he still has a, a few days to go uh, before the game. So you, you definitely expect to see him. Uh, Chris Harris Jr. did not play. 
last week, week three, didn't play in that game. He's got a shoulder injury, slot cornerback for them, limited on Thursday, Derwin James. Uh, I believe he separated his shoulder, and uh, he did finish the game last week, limited in practice, and then Justin Jones, one of their interior defensive linemen, uh, has a calf injury, and he was also limited in practice. So uh, a couple big names there for the Chargers, uh, a couple, especially on defense, looks like everyone's going to be good to go. Uh, unless there's any kind of setback, you can expect to see all, all of those guys go. And then with the Raiders, the big one is Josh Jacobs, and they got we got some good news on that front. He was at practice on Thursday. I saw some video out there on Twitter. It looked like he was moving around just fine. Got a limited practice in. Um, Nate Hobbs, um, you know, he was a little bit banged up in the game last week. That was a that was a hard fought game. Took a big toll on some of these players with a shoulder injury. He li- he was limited today. Trayvon Mullen, who was another guy who was down a couple different times, left the game, came back, really gutted it out, uh, toughed it out with a gutty performance, shoulder injury limited as uh, in practice on Thursday. Carl Nassib, full practice with that toe injury. Denzel Perryman is listed with a an Achilles and a quad injury. He uh, was full at practice on Thursday. And then Solomon Thomas, who's been a big contributor uh, to that defensive line rotation, uh, listed with a knee injury, and he was limited in practice as well. So, again, the big one is Josh Jacobs. Continue to monitor his status, but uh, from what we're seeing now, he should be good to go. I think he's going to play this week. And uh, because of that porous run defense of the Chargers, uh, who is ranked dead last in the NFL right now in, in rushing yards allowed, expect Jacobs, if he is active for this game, to to have a big role and to make a big impact So that is your week four injury report on Thursday for the Raiders and Chargers. We go out to the guest line now and welcome in Daniel Popper, Los Angeles Chargers beat writer for The Athletic. Daniel, I appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time today and welcome to Just Pod Baby. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Really looking forward to this Monday night's game. Big AFC West clash coming up here between the Raiders and the Chargers. And, you know, Daniel, the Chargers, they've gotten off to a good start coming off a big road win in Arrowhead. And there's a new head coach calling all the shots there in Los Angeles and Brandon Staley. It's early, only three games into the season. But what kind of effect uh, has he had on this team early on? Massive. Absolutely massive. And it really, you know, has trickled into all three phases of the team. Obviously his biggest footprint is on the defense. He's calling the plays there. And, and that's, you know, why they hired him because of his defensive scheme and his prowess in that area. Um, and the chargers have been truly fantastic uh, in terms of preventing explosive plays against some really good offenses. Um, they did it against the Cowboys only allowed one pass over 20 yards. Um, and they really stymied Mahomes in this chief offense last week. Um, you know, Mahomes, I just looked up the stat earlier today. Um, on throws of 15 or more yards downfield, Mahomes had an 8.8 passer rating through two interceptions, his worst performance in that area in any game in his career by a considerable margin. So you're seeing the effects on defense, but you know, you're also seeing the effects on offense and just his ability to think outside of the box to get the absolute most out of his premium player. It applies offensively and defensively, but offensively you look at a guy like Mike Williams, who's off to a career start this season And he had the vision to say, okay, you know, Mike Williams isn't just a 50-50 ball guy, which is what he was in this offense under Anthony Lynn. He's like, this guy can run slants. This guy can be a factor in this short to intermediate area of the field. And they're really making him a focal point of this offense. And so that's what I think you get from Brandon Taylor is just that ability to think outside the box and see stuff that other people don't see. 
And I think additionally, he's just giving this team an aggressive mindset. You know, he's, he's leaning into analytics. He's being very aggressive on fourth down. He's being aggressive on two-point conversion calls. You're seeing it through the first three weeks of the season. And it's just a complete 180 from what Anthony Lynn was. He's you know, more of an old-school coach and, and, frankly, played conservative a lot of the time in terms of his decision-making. Brandon Staley's never going to do that. He's going to be aggressive because he feels like he has the talent on both sides of the ball to do that. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that definitely jumped out to me through these first three weeks of the season. Yeah, I want to stay with the defense. I've been very impressed uh, with what that Chargers defense has been able to do against some really high-powered offenses like the Cowboys and the Chiefs, limiting them to only 20 points and 24 points. I know that they have had some struggles stopping the run, but what are some of the things that the defense is doing really well right now? Yeah, I think the pass rush has been really solid. Um, You know, Joey Bose is playing at a really high level. He had um, 10 pressures against the Chiefs, despite playing, pretty much playing on one leg, um, which has been, you know, obviously very impressive. Um, and then I think just the way he's using the players in terms of the versatility is something that has really trickled down into, you know, all facets of the defense. You look at a guy like Derwin James, they're really playing him all over the formation. He's playing a lot of deep field safety. He's playing in the slot uh, as like a big nickel player. Uh, they're playing him at money back there. So they're really, like, moving him all over. He's in the box sometimes. He's in the slot sometimes. He's in the deep part of the field at times. And that's really allowing Derwin James to have an impact on a lot of different parts of the game and to be around the ball. And, and, and it, you know, it goes down to sort of all these different players. Chris Harris is injured right now, but he was playing slot corner and some safety, which he hadn't done since college. And it goes back to what I was talking about earlier, just sort of having that ability to think outside the box and saying, okay, how can I get my best players in the best position to succeed. And you're seeing that so far. And and he's really, you know, in terms of the philosophy, you know, he wants these guys playing downhill and he wants his best players around the ball. A guy like Nasir Adderley, who didn't really play well his first two seasons in the league. You're seeing him around the ball more, making plays, being physical. And that's just the scheme, you know, Nas in the previous scheme was playing a lot of single high safety as a free safety, you know, deep center fielder, you know, with more two high safety looks. Nas is allowed to get around the ball, and you're seeing him make some big hits, stuff that he really wasn't doing in his first two seasons. So I think, you know, the implementation and the usage of personnel and sort of the versatility is something that's definitely jumped out about this defense. We are speaking with Los Angeles Chargers beat writer from The Athletic, Daniel Popper, kind enough to give us some of his time uh, as we preview the Week 4 Monday Night Football matchup with the Chargers. Now, the, the Chargers were not the only team that brought in uh, some new new coaches. The Raiders uh, brought in a guy who Charger fans are very familiar with, of course, new defensive coordinator Gus Bradley, who was with the Chargers from 2018 to 2020. Along with him came Ron Milas and Richard Smith. They also added some former Chargers players and Casey Hayward and Denzel Perryman who are playing really well right now for the Raiders. Uh, I'm curious to get your opinion on this. Do you think that this gives the Raiders a little bit of an advantage because of Bradley and, and Smith and Milas, you know, being a little bit familiar, possibly having some intel on Justin Herbert, having been a part of that organization a year ago? I mean, to an extent, um, I think that the offensive scheme is very different the complete overhaul of the scheme, obviously, with Joe Lombardi coming in here from the Saints. And that, that has such a big factor. Like, he certainly is familiar with the skill sets of these players, guys like, obviously, Keenan Allen, Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, going up against them in training camp every single day. Uh, but the scheme is so different that I'm not sure there's going to be a whole lot of carryover um, in that area. But, you know, Gus is a really good defensive coordinator. 
And I remember talking to, you know, people, people on the Raiders beat after he got hired, just telling him, like, listen, Gus is going to get the most out of this group. Like, he's one of the best defensive coordinators in football in terms of taking less talent and making them into at least a mid-level defense. And I think that's what you're seeing. And that was the recipe for the Raiders, right? Go out, you know, bring this offense to a new level, which we're seeing, and then just get base-level play from the defense. And, and Gus can do that just because, you know, his, his philosophy of simplifying things and allowing young players to play quickly by not doing too much, not overcomplicating things. And I think that's what you're seeing from this Raiders defense so far this season. You know, I see a lot of similarities uh, between these two offenses of the Raiders and the Chargers. And I know in the case of John Gruden, his offense, he would certainly like to see a little bit more balance than what he's currently getting between the run and pass games. And I saw that both Las Vegas and Los Angeles rank near the bottom of the NFL as far as rushing yards uh, this season. And you, you touched on the offensive coordinator for the for the Chargers, Joe Lombardi. Do you think that he wants to get his run game going a little bit more? Does he want Austin Eckler to be more of a factor in the run game? Or do you think that's a little bit more by design and he's willing to just kind of ride it out on the arm of Justin Herbert? Yeah, so philosophically, there's sort of two ways to think about the idea of balance, right? I think some coaches say balance and they want 50% pass and 50% run. And then some coaches look at balance and say, we just want to be able to threaten you with the pass or the run on every single play. And the percentages of how it actually breaks down doesn't really matter as long as you're an efficient offense. And I think the latter approach is how the Chargers are approaching it. I think the latter approach is the correct approach from NFL coaches. And listen, at the end of the day, they know who their best player is. Their best player is number 10, Justin Herbert. So the more times you can put the ball in his hands and let him throw the ball downfield, the more success you're going to have, the more efficient you're going to be offensively. And in today's NFL, the efficient offenses are the ones with the most efficient passing games. You know, if you, if you, you know, rattle off explosive passing plays, that's going to move the ball a lot quicker and more efficiently than running plays. So, you know, I, I, that's what I think the philosophy is for the Chargers offensive staff. And listen, I don't think the, I know that you mentioned the rushing totals, but the run blocking has been pretty solid. Um, I, they had certainly have the capacity to run the football if they feel like they have the advantage in that area. So I don't necessarily think it's a weakness of this offense. I just think you have so many weapons in this passing game and a quarterback is playing at an elite level. Like why wouldn't you give him the ball and let him sling it around out there if it's working? One of the other players I want to ask you about on that Chargers offense is their new tackle, uh, rookie Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern. He's going to have his hands full this weekend, trying to slow down uh, the combination of Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe. Of course, Crosby does lead the NFL in in quarterback pressures right now. But what have you seen so far from from Slater uh, through, through through the first three games? He's an absolute stud. I mean, they nailed this pick just watching him on tape. Uh, he is playing at an extremely high level, and it started in that Washington game. Um, just a super polished player. And, and just after they drafted him, you know, obviously I wrote a feature about him and just did some legwork on sort of what kind of player and person he was. And everyone talks about how, you know, his technique is at a level that you don't really see with players coming out of college. And a lot of that is just, you know, how much he worked on it from a young age, you know, two a days starting at 14 years old, working with former college linemen just to polish that technique. But, you know, you hear that and you're like, okay, I understand. Let's see what it looks like when he gets on the field. And it has, it has translated. I mean, this guy is exceptional, exceptional in pass protection. Um, he went up against Chase Young against Washington and played so well against him on the first drive of the game that they moved Chase Young to the other side of the field for the rest of the game. They didn't even let him go up against Rashawn Slater. And it's continued. I don't think he's played as well as he did in that first game. 
But this is a franchise left tackle, no doubt about it. And the other thing to add here is that he is freakishly athletic. And I think that was something that was sort of overlooked in the scouting process. Um, he can absolutely fly. And the thing is, it's functional athleticism on top of that. You know, they had a play against the Cowboys where they ran a little, a little slip screen to the flat to Austin Eckler. And Rashawn Slater booked it out to the, the, the flat in the left near the left sideline and was actually running faster than Austin Eckler. But it wasn't just that he got out there. It was that he was able to break down and, you know, lock up with the cornerback. And that's what you're talking about with functional athleticism. There are a lot of linemen that can move that well, but how many of them can slow down, break down, get in position and put a tackle, put a a block on a cornerback. And so I think he's super polished in all facets of his game. And he's going to be a cornerstone at left tackle for the Chargers for years to come. I can guarantee you that. Daniel, before I let you run, um, you touched on a couple of the injuries, and that's you know that's really been kind of the Achilles heel for these these Charger teams in the last couple of years. They've really been hit hard by injury, especially on defense. I know last week going into the game, Joey Bosa was questionable. He did play. Uh, he was effective from what you told us. Derwin James, I know he was banged up a little bit with a shoulder, and you also mentioned Chris Harris was did not play in that game. And I know we're still a few days out from Monday Night Football, but uh, what, what's the latest word on, on those of uh, some of those guys that you're hearing that are a little bit banged up in their status for this week? Right. So Joey's got a, like a foot ankle sprain that he suffered in the Cowboys game. He told us on Monday that it actually held up really well in the game. It felt better than he expected. And he said he felt better on Monday than he did the previous Monday. So I can't imagine that he's at risk of not playing. Uh, Chris Harris is still a question mark. He hurt his shoulder in, the, in week one, and that's been a little more serious than expected. But this would be his third game missed. And I know, I, you know typically in a situation where you expect a guy to miss three weeks, you just put him on IR. So we'll see if he's back at practice this week. Derwin actually dislocated his shoulder in the game, popped it back in in the locker room and came back into the game. He told us that there's no concern at all and he's going to be out there. Maybe they keep him out of practice, but the way they're running things, um, you know, their star players don't need to practice in order to play. Um, and then just one more that you didn't mention I think is kind of key here. Um, Justin Jones, one of their interior defensive linemen, who's one of their more consistent run defenders. Um, he's been out the last two games with a calf injury, but he's expected to be back last week. I think that should give him a boost in, in the run defense. They've given up quite a bit of r- rushing yards uh, over these last two weeks against the Cowboys and Chiefs. Some of that's by design, game plan, but some of it's talent as well, and Justin Jones being back in there should help bolster their running game, and they've certainly been missing him. Daniel Popper, everybody, does a great job covering the Chargers for the Athletic. Thanks again, Daniel, for for giving us some of the insight into the Chargers, and uh, uh, and I appreciate your time, and I hope that you enjoy the game on Monday. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Okay, good rundown there of the Chargers. Two really good spots this week, and you should feel that you are fully prepared now for this game. You're all prepped. You are good to go for this game. Big thank you again to both of our guests, Mo Moten and Daniel Popper. It is time for me to say goodbye this week. Until the next time, though, I am your host, Evan Grote. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the game on Monday night. And as always, just win, baby.